Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about purchase application data, the jobs data, and when the Fed will stop dealing pain to the housing market. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. We are recording this the day after the election, so I have to ask you, uh, I know politics is not something you love, but it definitely affects you know, uh, the economy and everything else that's going on. So give me your take on what what happened last night um, or yesterday? And- Sarah Wheeler, I'm going to stop you there because I'm going to tell you, I do not believe in political economic theory. Okay. And politics is the word itself, politics, many blood-sucking parasites. Economics to me is demographics and productivity. The rest is stamp collecting. So housing economics is demographics and affordability, really. And uh, I, I understand what happened last night, and people can say, well, there, there'll be more gridlock. But for housing, it's very simple. Nothing's going to meaningfully change until mortgage rates go lower. And until the job market breaks, uh, the Fed isn't going to pivot, and then bond yields won't go down or rates won't go down. So I understand how everyone loves to make you know, between Republican and Democrats. And, but, you know, it's uh, economic cycles come and go. It's really just demographics and productivity, really. But uh, here, um, I think it is maybe uh, with the Democrats outperforming, you might get more vocal pushback against the Federal Reserve for their rate hikes, where maybe if the Republicans have won, maybe they, they, they're not as vocal as much until uh, DeSantos uh, wins the White House. Um, but uh, it, it, that's all I would think about that. I think everyone needs to focus on the labor market and jobless claims because that is what would lower rates. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to use your first and last name, uh, you know, like a parent, Logan Motorshami. You just threw in there until DeSantis uh, wins the White House. So don't tell me that, you know, you're not talking about politics here. I am talking about politics. It's just that a different way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from your perspective, uh, the election doesn't materially change that much because really our biggest challenge right now is with the Federal Reserve. And obviously, you know, we don't get to elect them. No. It, and it's, and again, we're, we're talking about a very unique situation. And, and in, in the article that I wrote um, about purchase application data, I think this is this is, uh, we should be focusing on this aspect of housing. Housing had the biggest affordability hit of our lifetime in recent modern day history. And it was home prices accelerating beyond trend, right? My own price growth model shattered by the end of 2021. And then, you know, I, I think people forget about this. January, February, and March of this year, home prices were accelerating right? The whole savagely unhealthy housing market came in February because we were accelerating above 20% home price growth, right? Um, so that is not a positive, that is a negative, right? So on top of that, whenever rates do rise, it just impacts demand more. So we're seeing this major hit, but we're also not focusing on the fact that new listings data literally is declining, like 17 straight weeks of declining. So don't look at it as an inventory to sale. Look at it as a, a lack of inventory seller that becomes a buyer. So purchase application data is below 2008 levels today. Adjusting to population, I could say it's the lowest levels ever recorded in history. We're back to 2014 levels. When I talk about 2014 levels, that was the last time uh, purchase application data went negative for the year. 
Uh, existing home sales is trending exactly right now, the low point that we saw back then as well. Uh, but the big difference is the peak inventory data back then in 2014 was 2.3 million. And today, as we talk right now, it's 1.25 billion. So uh, the lack of sellers has to be also looked at as a lack of buyers. So purchase application data is getting hit on two fronts right now. It's not that credit is getting tight or anything like that. You have the major affordability hit, and then you're also losing some of the uh, demand from the lack of new listings. That does not change until rates fall. So I think this is a really important point because you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday before the uh, after our podcast, whenever it was, about the fact that when I look at the listings data and I think, well, if I was a seller, I would be like, well, there's, you know, I know it's not a great time to sell, but at least there's not a lot of uh, inventory out there. So maybe that's a that's a help. And you're like, no, 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 the lack of inventory shows there's a lack of demand because if you're if you're buying, you've got to sell too. So so just what you said there about how you can see it is interesting. It never gets discussed in that way because everyone that to get attention in America on housing, you just use the word 2008. So everyone uses when demand collapses, inventory will skyrocket. But if you have a second grade education and you could visually see the data, it looks much different after 2012. So when we look at the history of housing economics in the United States of America, you have these two very extreme periods where in 2005, we had a peak housing demand, a credit bubble, a credit bubble bursting, inventory skyrocket. You look back in the four decade uh, data line trends, that is a historical abnormality to have inventory rise up that way. But you can see what was happening in the data. You know, credit was getting stressed, 2005, six, seven, and eight, people filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies, boom, credits crashed. There you go. Here, it's the exact opposite. Inventory levels have been falling since 2012. 2014 was the last year we actually had inventory growth. That was like a couple hundred thousand adjusting to population purchase application data at all-time lows. But now we're working from a very extreme level, low level right now, adjusting to, I mean, on nominal terms, inventory is low. On population terms, inventory is low. Adjusting to population and households, inventory is low. But people just aren't moving, right? So now you have a situation to where the higher rates actually have given us data and evidence to show that new listers, like, I'm not buying a house with, 7% rates, not all of them. We still have people buying homes every single month. But there's a proportional gap that just kind of gave up, right? And regardless of what people think, people don't list their homes to sell to be homeless. I still do not understand who conned people into thinking that, but it, it actually worked. People sell to actually find another form of shelter, right? And a traditional home seller, 75 to 80%, 82% of the time, buys another property. So we need new listings data to grow next year, which um, I, I, I don't think people focus on that enough. That that is a really uh, uh, that's a big demand hit on the other side as well. You got affordability on one, and then you got the lack of a traditional seller. So uh, we need that data line to get better next year in the spring of 2023. We traditionally get new listings every single year. That's never been the case, but we just don't want what we had in 2020, where we saw very little inventory growth in the spring and then just not, nothing else happening. You know, so so there are a couple of things that you and I have talked about. 
about what could influence that, you know, inflation, right? So that if if we influence inflation on one side, what the Fed's looking for, then we get the rates, uh, the rate, you know, decreases that we're looking for. So labor is one. We'll talk about that in a second. But you just said something about, you know, like people don't sell their homes to go homeless. Let's talk about rent inflation. Are we what are we seeing on rent inflation and how is that playing into where we might see mortgage rates? This is this is a very fascinating discussion because you know, in the summer of 2020, when shelter inflation was falling still, I was like, oh, no, it's already risen. This data line lags. Uh, cities aren't dying. We're about to get, you know, shelter inflation is about to take off, even to the point in early 2021, talking to the Washington Post that, hey, listen, core inflation is going to get above 2% faster and stay above that level longer than normal because of shelter inflation. My mindset is now the opposite of where I was in the summer of 2020. We're already seeing the growth rate of, an, of shelter inflation fall. It's just the CPI data lags. So if we won't see it in that data line going out, especially toward the second half of 2023. That's why when you know uh, I went on CNBC in September before the CPI report, hey, listen, shelter core inflation still has legs. Rental vacancies are still historically normal. So it, the growth rate will slow, but it'll take some time. We're already seeing that in some of the early data lines right now. Uh, it's just going to take a. Uh, it's going to take some time to get back up there uh, for the CPI data, and that, in a sense, will bring the growth rate of inflation down and will ease the Federal Reserve's uh, conscience. But I think the Fed knows this. I, I believe they understand that the CPI data lags. So you really want to look at some of the other data lines, uh, and we see this. We see the growth rate. The Shanghai ports are collapsing. They're what they're charging. The uh, growth rate of used car prices are falling. These things will catch up in time and then it'll be more evident in 2023. So that's that was my question. When you say these things take time, two months, six months, 12 months, how long is it going to be before we see shelter inflation come down in a way that is meaningful to the Fed? So it's already coming down. And I think for the Federal Reserve, it depends on where they want to go with this. If they say, okay, we see the earlier data lines going, so shelter inflation we know is falling, or do they say we need to wait until the uh, the summer and fall of, of 2023 when it should catch up to the data? And just, just for some historical references, shelter inflation going negative year over year is an anomaly. You go back to post-World War II, the only time this ever actually happened was a very brief period after the housing crash when rental vacancies went up and uh, homeowner vacancies went up. And it was only for a few months. So we're talking about the growth rate falling. We're seeing some of that in data. Now, uh, shelter inflation is very seasonal. You always see a decline in the kind of the fall months, but the growth rate has actually been cooling down for some, some time. It'll catch up to the CPI data. Uh, and then also remember we have 910,000 multifamily construction units that are under construction that will come online. We have over 143 million total housing units. So it's not like a massive amount, but still anything helps. And then the growth rate of inflation will fall down. And then hopefully, I mean, at that point, you know, if the Federal Reserve is correct, they forecast their recession next year, jobs are being lost. The Federal Reserve has also said, listen, we have the tools to, to combat the weakness in the economy. And really, all the Federal Reserve has to do is snap its finger and then basically said, OK, we're going to support housing. Mortgage rates can fall kind of one to one and a half percent by its own. Doesn't really need the bond market to do too much because of the spreads. And we've seen that five to five and a half percent 
mortgage rate stabilizes. So you need to stop the bleeding first. But that is the area where, you know, new home sales had that really big beat, 28% month over month growth. Uh, it's because rates went from six and a quarter to five percent. So th- there are starting to create models to where rates can actually start to stop the bleeding. The thing is that you need it to stick and stay there. You don't need rates going from six and a quarter to five percent, then five percent to seven and a quarter percent. That that doesn't do anyone any good. That's chaos. People can't plan. So um, we're we're in one of those really funky areas because remember, the Fed says housing reset. You got to believe them. Right. The Fed says we need more pain. We need American citizens to feel more pain. Right. We need the unemployment rate higher. Believe them when they tell you this. I think if you're in the mortgage business, if you're in the real estate business, you absolutely believe them. You're like, they said they were going to deal some pain and they have done it because things are things are kind of bleak out there right now. So I I hate it when you say, you know, uh, next summer, next fall. I know that that's, you know. You don't have a dog in this fight. You're just giving us the straight information. But, you know, for people who are really trying to make it work between here and there, that's that's rough. Jobless claims breaks over 323,000. The Federal Reserve will pivot or change the language of how they talk about it. Um, uh, they are buying. They're trying to buy enough time. So the financial uh, uh, conditionings uh, or they want a, a tighter credit market. So growth slows down and jobs are lost. And I think once they lose that uh, labor market narrative, um, they they don't have they don't have the you know the tools to kind of just sit there and say oh everything's fine and good anymore. So they bought themselves enough time, right? The honey badger labor market. That's what we said. You know, the whole demographics are different, right? Uh, that's why we talked about that early in the COVID recovery. Like job openings are going to be high, people are going to be employed, older people are leaving the workforce. So the Fed, that's the the Federal Reserve's own verbiage is that also they, they they talk about that a lot so uh, it's a very unique situation that we're dealing with right now so we just have to go with it and and choose the variables that are given to us and uh, uh we take that one day one cpi report one fed meeting at a time you know i had dave stevens who's the former ceo of the mba on a, a very uh well-known and well-loved figure in the mortgage industry. I had him on last week and he was um, talking what I think it just aired this week. Anyway, he, he and I talked about why the Fed is doing this. It's like, he's like, you know, listen, housing is such a huge part of the economy. This is the lever they can pull. And it, you know, this is what they can do uh, to get to their inflation goals. And so that's why it's the housing reset. Cause I was like, you know, I talked about how we had talked about, you know, we feel like the sacrificial lamb housing is, the sacrificial lamb for what the Fed wants to do. He's like, well, yeah, it has to be because it's just such a giant part of the economy. Well, one of the things that we have to remember is a lot of consumer debt in this country are tied to fixed long-term rates. So that's why the Federal Reserve talked, I mean, we wrote that article saying, this is what the Federal Reserve is looking at. And this is why they say household balance sheets are good. So people naturally assumed that when GDP was getting weaker in Q1 and Q2, that the job loss recession was about to happen. No, I mean, we're, we're going to have what, I mean, we have the potential to have 5 million jobs created this year, you know, with some, uh, with two more reports or, or near 5 million uh, uh, jobs. So um, the labor market is fine. The, the fixed long-term debt is fine. What the Federal Reserve is doing is that the higher the interest rates go, the and this is how I would phrase it for people that want to uh, uh, 
talk about it right. What I've seen on Twitter, finance, and 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 every, everywhere else, people look at nominal credit card growth and say, "Oh my God, everyone's broke." That is such a terrible anti-central bank trolling way to look at things. Nominal credit card growth is going with every single expansion. You know, since 20, 2010, I've seen this done every time. Oh, credit cards are growing. People are broke. No. The most educated, highest income, financially wealthy households have the most debt in the system, right? Uh, the net interest expenses grow over time. Banks make more money off credit cards, and that slows the consumption down by some households. That's what they're hoping. But it's not nominal credit card growth. I, I, we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history that was only temporarily paused because of a global pandemic. Uh, when credit card growth slows, that's your recessionary data, not when it's growing. So there becomes a point where the net interest expenses to households is so much that they curb their spending. That's why they have the short-term rates. The long-term rates, you know, mortgage rates going up impacts the demand side, but it doesn't really impact the homeowner, right? And that's why we, we always talk about what's the benefit of housing? It's a fixed debt product. And your wages rise. Well, guess what? Everyone's wages is really going up, right? In in the sense, if you're if you're especially if you're a salary person, so your wages are going up to, for the cost of living, but your housing costs stay the same, roughly, right? You know, there's some people that property taxes or insurance are up, but so uh, uh, credit card growth will happen, but the net interest expenses grow over time, and that's the Fed's measure of dealing with this. Uh, better or worse, or whatever you think about, this is what they've told us starting from March. Right. So that was a dynamic shift in the entire economic landscape where people never thought the Fed would be ever this aggressive. They are aggressive. They're trying to cool down inflation enough before the job loss recession happens. And when that happens, we have a whole different new dynamic. We're just not there yet. Okay, let's talk about job losses. What are we seeing there? Um, you and I had talked about construction jobs. Uh, specifically, we know that the home builders are getting hit. Uh, with these high interest rates. So what are we seeing there? Well, you know, Redfin just laid off people and they shut down their home flipping business. Um, uh, we saw a Boise, one of the, or if probably, I think it, the biggest home builder in Boise starting to lay off people. Um, the one unique dynamic that's different here is that we have a lot of homes that are still under construction, right? So uh, the that is the literally the only reason construction labor is holding up. If that wasn't the case, we'd be losing jobs monthly on the construction side. The closer we get to those being completed, and if rates stay the same as they are, they're going to let go of those people. So we already saw that in Boise. Boise is a severe outlier of, on a lot of things, but it gives you a glimpse of what to think about in the future. Um, because once those homes are finished, right, that's it. They're not building anything anymore, right? If you look at single-family startups and permits, that's done. The, the, the housing recession started in June. The new home sales sector was at business risk in March. That's why we wrote that article in March, that with rates now, even though they're historically low, if you look back in the history post-2010, this is where you get hit on the builder side, except the builders put on a lot of price inflation since 2020. You know, Even the last... Um, the last median sales, new home sales report, uh, median prices were up 14% year over year, 8% month to month. That's the makeshift of sales. They're selling bigger homes. So it, it really moves the median price. But there's a lot of price inflation. So when rates go up, naturally, they're going to get hit. They're getting hit, right? So cancellation rates are up. 
right? So they're going to, the builders are very efficient on selling their products as soon as possible. They're not like the existing home sales market where sellers are stingy or they need to find another uh, place to live. Here, it's basically like a commodity. They get it, they got to sell it. The longer they hold on it, it's not good for them. So they'll do whatever they need to do to sell. And then at that point, they're going to let go of construction workers at, uh, if rates stay at this at high. The builders did find buyers as well at five to five and a half percent. So they could unload uh, what they have, but uh, it's more challenging at, at seven, uh, above seven. So you could do buy downs or whatever you can. But, you know, if rates actually got back down to what it is, that sector can unload some of their properties uh, 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 more efficiently than what they're doing now. So crazy, man. So crazy. So let's talk a little bit about inventory uh, potential. One of the things that you've been saying for a couple of years is that we're not going to see this foreclosure, a crash of uh, the housing industry because we have so many foreclosures. In fact, delinquencies are low, foreclosures are low. Tell us a little bit about what we what we expect on anything coming online from that area. Listen, we 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 we're at we're below two thousand eight levels. In purchase application data, we are basically trending back to existing home sales back in 2014. We are 1 million below the inventory levels back in 2014. We are 2.75 million total active listings below the peak of 2007. If you are not convinced by now that there is nothing that was housing 2008 uh, with the housing market of the last 10 years, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do for you, right? Uh, credit stress was seen in the system in 2005, 6, 7, and 8 before the job loss recession. We don't have that now. It takes time, right? Inventory channels take time. This is why earlier in the year, you know, uh, when I went on uh, Atlas Research and talked to Mike Simonson, I said, you know, we can get back to 2019 inventory levels as a country, but it's just going to take time. It's going to say, you know, homes staying on the market longer will get us there. And uh, traditionally, we're like 30 to 45 days uh, days on market. That's the NAR data. We're, we've been at teenager levels, which is never a good thing. But in time, inventory can accumulate. Literally one week after that interview is when the new listings data started to climb. So that, that put a, a shot into my uh, forecast for 2023. We could get national inventory levels back there. But again, you can see the homeowner is set. People don't just rush to the market to sell their homes to be homeless or whatever. People have lives. They have children. They have neighborhoods. They have where they work. They have a very low total cost. Remember, it's not so much of the mortgage rate lockdown. It's the total cost of housing versus their total wages. And that has been falling for many years. And the last wave of refinancing made it even look better. So people have to have a reason to move. And we always talk about, well, death, jobs, yeah, yeah, yeah. We always talk about that inventory has been falling for like eight years, even with all that. So the channels are different. Adjust to the channels because the data is there. We're not talking about like a one-year phenomenon, right? The one-year phenomenon was 2020. We didn't have any spring increase in inventory. Okay, that's a valid talking point. But this has been happening for like 10 years now, right? So you have to realize there's a there's a shift that's different, right? And uh, uh, hopefully now that purchase application data is below 2008 levels, adjusting to population, it's the lowest levels ever. Uh, we don't have that kind of inventory channel. It takes time. Give it time, it'll get there, but not not what we we're seeing uh, back then to compare to now. So one of the things I always like to talk to you about is demographics. And I know you do not like the idea. I know this, Logan. Don't interrupt me. I'm going to get all the way through this. I know you don't like the idea 
of having uh, of the idea of like sideline buyers, that there are people waiting on the sidelines to buy. But I do think you have to say there are a lot of millennials and other people who've wanted to buy in the last couple of years that were first priced out because home prices were going up so much and there was so much competition, those unhealthy bidding wars. And now they're priced out because of mortgage rates. So when when mortgage rates come down, when we get a little bit farther down and, and we start to see um, things change a little bit, don't you think that there are going to be a, a wave of home buyers who have been shut out until then? First, there is no such thing as a <laughs> sideline home buyer. That is a uh, housing marketing strategy that's never that's never worked. Millions and millions of people buy homes a year, right? It's actually very rare in America uh, post-1996 to get existing home sales trending below uh, 4 million. Millennials were the biggest home buyers in America, right? They have been for many years. Um, if, if a group or a set of people are priced out of a market, if the rates came back down, they're not necessarily sideline home buyers. They're just basically traditional sell traditional buyers that have that are here every single year that finally found an affordability level. Um, the sideline home buyer is a marketing gimmick to make you believe that you know you're you're missing out on something. That's what marketing is. It's a brain you know uh, neuron sense, right? So. Uh, we've had millions of millions, and we're going to have over 5 million total home sales this year. We, we had 5 million over total home sales back in 2014 when purchase application data hit an all-time low, adjusting to population. So the affordability locks people out. When rates come back down, what you can what you can say is that it can entice some sellers now to come to the market to sell, then buy another home. I think that's a more uh, logistically a proper way to talk about it. Uh, because we saw what happened with new listings data when rates got to six and a quarter, and even when rates fell, you know, from six and a quarter to five percent, it just didn't stay long enough to get some of those people in. And of course, there's a seasonality of inventory. Inventory rises in the spring and summer, and falls in the uh, fall and winter. So, um, you know, in a perfect world, which there isn't, uh, rates being at let's say five and one eighth to five point eight seven five could have got the Fed what it wanted, and then also not have the new listings data decline as much and somewhat keep the construction going in this country so you don't have to stop building. But that didn't happen. Rates went up so fast, so quick that it's changed behavior. The builders are done. We're going to see layoffs. So I'm assuming that the Federal Reserve also knows this. They they just have to have like data people that track this stuff. They can't just be like 12 people that don't look at data. Uh, but that would have been a perfect world because the growth rate of pricing would have fallen. And, and the reason I use 5.1875 to 5.875 is that I just naturally assumed because my model broke at the end of 21, that price growth was going to severely slow down in 2022. Um, I'm going to be wrong with my forecast. Uh, I had 5.2% to 6.7% total price growth. Uh, it's going to be higher than that because 4 to 5% mortgage rates actually wasn't high enough to do the damage to the existing home sales market that the Fed wants. But 5 and 1, five and one quarter, 5.87, we see that. But a little bit more of a functioning marketplace would have had a little bit more inventory, days on market grows, price discovery becomes better, right, in that world. So, uh, but again, there's no perfect world we're dealing with what we have 
And uh, we have to see uh, when the Fed pivots. And to me, again, that's the labor market, keeping them in there. Uh, and uh, when claims break, things should change, but we're not there yet. Not there yet. No, I, I wish that we had... I wish that we could have explored that five to six percent range longer to see what that would do. It was such a it was such a quick period of time. It was uh, hard for everybody to adjust. Yeah, and it, and you have to look at it that housing is not like you buying a dress in Instagram, right? You know, you just it, it's a process, right? You have to move. You have to look at your kids' school. There's all these things that go into it, so it's not. It's not designed to be a very fast-moving uh, uh, process or the days on market being teenagers. It's designed to take some time. So that's why the seasonality of housing matters. That's why, you know, for purchase application data, we see that uh, it's very seasonal too. It rises in the spring and usually peaks out around May. Uh, after the second week of May, you start to see a decline in volumes. We've always seen that COVID-19 has ruined this entire data line in that sense. The seasonalities are all crazy. But that's what traditionally happens. Volumes go to the spring and then they fall in the toward the end of the year because of spring buying, families moving. That's what housing is. It's just a home. Housing is a cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. It is not an investment. It's a shelter. Right. So people look at it as shelter. And there's all these other variables that go into why people want to move, what they need to see. You know, do you need a bigger home, smaller home? So it's not as fluid as, let's say, um, you know, buying or selling crypto or something <laughs> to that nature. So, uh, okay. and, that, and that's why and that's why I would say that, you know, when, when people say uh, what was the big overinvestment in this uh, 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 COVID boom? It was those stocks that were trading 70 to 80% above their 200-day moving average. Why? They all crashed very quickly. That's that's the velocity, right? Boom, bust, right? Here, you know, it takes more time. Housing takes just time because you never had a credit boom, never really had a credit bust. It's different. Homeowners are good. First world problems, right? Homeowners are doing good. We're fine. We don't see any of the credit stress that we saw from 2005 to 2008. Well, you know what? I know that uh, you were never on board with crypto as a as an asset class that you were interested in. I just want to say after the debacle of this week, where there is only a $1 offer for an exchange, <laughs> we go back to Tom Brady on May 10th, 2021, when he put laser eyes, right? And as soon as that happened, I created my own laser high and said, USD. King dollar, go look at the dollar chart. It just took off from that point. So Tom Brady is the goat again. You know, he just he called the the big dollar rally and the crushing of uh, the crypto market right on May tenth. And I always retweet that whenever I see another implosion because why King dollar for a reason, right? We are the United States of America, right? That's a little gimmick toy right here. I love it. Yeah, I don't think Tom Brady thought he was being the goat on on that one. He Tom Brady put a lot of his money into that exchange, I guess, too. So he's not having the greatest year. But but I'm a Niners fan, so I love what he did to the Rams <laughs> in, in last weekend. So good for him. Good for him, Logan. Thanks so much for being on. Always appreciate you, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of days. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? 
Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.